Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Wonderful. So good to be together this Good Friday. It's really, really uh, a huge privilege that you chose to spend your Good Friday morning with us and we want to say thank you so, so much. I think for me the, the fact this morning I woke up real, realizing that we are not just gathering here in Tableview, but we are gathering with millions of other Christians around the world today as we remember our Savior Jesus. And a lot of those people are meeting in secret, in fear for their lives. In, in Eastern and Islamic countries, people are so, but this thing of Jesus is so real that people will meet to remember the only thing that speaks a better word, His blood and His cross. So it's an incredible privilege to be together this morning. Uh, this morning, my job, very quickly and as brief as I can be, because the hot cross buns are waiting, as my wife informs us, uh, is that I really wanting to invite you into a bit of a story this morning. Is that all right? Everyone likes a good story? Anyone? Good? Making sure. And uh, like all good stories, they need to have a good, uh, something to drag you in, to pull you in. And maybe you grew up with uh, the phrase, or all the children here would know, the words once upon a time means something's good's about to happen. And kids lean in, as, as mom or dad says, once upon a time, they know something is about to unfold. Or maybe for you that's a little bit Disney-ified, and you say, hey, hey, Gabe, I'm a little bit more mature than something maybe like in a galaxy far, far away. Does that, does that help a bit? Maybe more mature is the wrong word to say there. But anyway, but, but words like that invite us in to lean into a story. For my story and our story this morning, the Bible begins with these words, in the beginning. And it's just that type of thing to lure us into so that we lean into the story that God is about to tell and unfold before us. So this morning I want to remind us, the Bible tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we learned three things about the earth before God got stuck into it. It'll come up on the screen behind me, but three things that the earth was, was that it was formless, without shape, it was empty, without purpose, and it was dark, without light. Formless, empty, and dark. The world, before God got stuck into it, was formless, empty, and dark. Some would say it resembles something like the Stormers Trophy Cabinet this season, but um, I digress. But the incredible thing is the story moves on at pace, and, and it says God's first interaction with this formless and empty and dark world is that He speaks and He says, let there be light. And the Bible says, there was light. The formless, empty, and dark world obeyed and leapt into creation. He leapt into life, and creation exploded into life. Just with one word that God spoke, the darkness retreated. I want to tell you, maybe this morning you're here out of tradition. This is your Easter tradition. Or maybe you're here this morning out of religious observation. Maybe it's out of habit. This is what you do week in, week out. Maybe it's out of here out of guilt. Or maybe it's just here to make your family happy because they've dragged you here. We want to say all of the above reasons. We're happy that you're here. No matter what brought you, we're happy you're here. But the reason why is because we are so convinced that one word from God, just one word from God can overwhelm any formless, empty, and dark situation that you are facing. That you might be sitting here today in a situation where you say, my life is formless without shape. My life is empty without purpose. My heart is dark without light, without hope. I don't know what to turn in this situation I'm facing. I want to tell you one word from God and hope can arise. 
So I invite you to lean into the story this morning and allow God to speak. So can we pray? Father, simple prayer this morning on Good Friday. Would hope arise in our hearts? Would hope spark in our hearts today as you speak to us? Speak, Lord. We are listening. Amen. So today is a, a day that's not normal for many of us. Many of us are enjoying the fact that on Friday we're not at work, we're resting, we're relaxing. I want to tell you that most Fridays, just want to boast, I am off on a Friday. <laughs> this is nothing new for me. This is amazing. We work on a Sunday with church and then we get the privilege of having Fridays off. And why I say that is most Fridays um, we get to beat the queues at Sturkinikor or New Metro. My wife and I, we go to movies uh, every second Friday or so. We go there at a, a midday movie, and we join the, the old age pensioners and us. That's us. We love it. We love it. We know them almost by name. Now, hello, hello. Nice to see you, Moira. Good to see you again. See you in E5 again. Very nice. And we go watch the movies. And uh, as many times as you go watch the movie in the middle of the day, it's still, you never get used to the fact of going in when it's light, uh, going in when it's light, going into darkness, and then coming out and being light again. Anyone know that phenomenon? I never get used to it. You know, you go into the dark theater, much like this, and you get totally absorbed in what is going on in the screen. I get totally absorbed. I'm, I'm in. From the first trailer, I am hook, line, and sinker in. So much so that my popcorn and coca begin eating the popcorn, you know, one by one. The colonel, very gentle and very manly-like, you know, very neat, and just like one at a time, like, mm, delicious, savoring the salt and vinegar flavor. But by the end... It's so dark, I'm so in, you're just throwing popcorn at your face, hoping one kernel will get in there, and like, not too fast, you've got salt going down there by the end of it, you know, and you know that moment, I won't break concentration of the screen, trying to find your Coke. And you get it, and sip, and then you try and put it back, and your wife goes, no, that's my lap, sorry. She goes, no, that's my handbag, sorry. She goes, no, that's the neighbor's lap, that's Moira's lap, oh, Sorry. And you eventually find those tiny cup holders and you put it back in, you know, because you're so absorbed. But then the moment comes, the credits come, the movie ends. And I want to tell you, maybe you don't believe in the zombie apocalypse. I believe it could be real because I've seen people come out of midday movies. And the way they recoil at the sun, you know, you walk out, you're expecting it to be midnight. Because you've been in darkness for so long. You come out and the light comes like, whoa, whoa, what happened there? If you've ever been to a midday movie... Welcome to the life of a ginger every day. <laughs> but uh, I, my thought, my whole point there with a frivolous story is that I believe my thesis this morning is that we get so used to the darkness, so a part of the darkness, that we end up retreating away from the light. Back to our story in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. The very next thing is creation exploded to life. He created man in his image, Adam. He formed him from the dust and he breathed his life into him. And I can imagine in my head, it's a type of Lion King moment as he lifted Adam up and said, Adam, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. But don't go to the dark land. You know, that type of moment. And Adam had the full world at his disposal with, with purpose, with shape, with, with light, with hope in his heart. Forging a new world with God with him, but alongside him in the cool of the day. But as I said, the, the enemy comes. The enemy came and he, and he distorted this image. And he pulled Adam away from this design, this God design. And in one moment, Adam set into motion evil and sin and unleashed the darkness of our hearts unraveled before him as he reached into the tree took the fruit that was never meant to be his 
and he sent to motion this incredible uh, story of life, of God's relationship with man, where man chose to go the other way and retreat back into the darkness, responded, recoiled from the light, and went back to the formless, empty, dark reality that they called sin. And the rest of the story plays out, the scripture plays out, and if you want to know how the Bible is, very quickly is this. It's a story of God pursuing relentlessly mankind. Calling, calling, calling light into dark situations, calling them back to himself, and man repeatedly retreating and pushing back and pushing back, making a stride, but then pushing away from the light and retreating back into the darkness. So much so we get to a moment of uh, the end of the Old Testament, it ends in 400 years of silence. Wickedness and darkness had so taken a part of man's heart that the Bible says that they were so blind to their sin that they did not know their left hand from their right. You know things have got dark when you can't see your hands anymore. And their their ears were so filled with the darkness that they could not hear God calling any longer. Someone once wrote, we've spent all our days seeking money, seeking fame, but none of heaven knows our name. And I want to tell you, the enemy, Satan, was ecstatic. His plan had worked. He had taken God's pinnacle creation, Adam, and restricted him and pulled him back into formless, empty, dark existence. Just existing. No purpose, no hope, no light, not knowing why each day led onto the next, and just being king to himself. The enemy was ecstatic, but then God did something that nobody saw coming. Like any good story, he sent a hero, and that hero's name was Jesus, his own son. And Jesus came in the form of a man, and with that first cry from a baby in a manger, a flicker of hope ran through the darkness of humanity. And the enemy, if you allow me the creative license, Satan recoiled, and he was a little bit nervous. He didn't see this one coming. He thought he had had the final nail ready on humanity's coffin, and he suddenly realized, this this is not what I expected. I didn't expect God to intervene, intervene in this way. So he watched nervously with all of hell on the, on the edge of his seats. We, we had this under control. So much so that John, the writer, talks about Jesus in his first chapter, says this, Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and his life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. He goes on to say, Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But this light, this flick of hope started and, and started to lead to a groundswell as Jesus grew up in favor with God and with man. And, then, and as he grew up into his, his adult life, Jesus started gathering followers around him. He started feeding crowds. He started healing the sick. He started giving sight to the blind. He started giving legs to the lame. He started calling the, giving forgiveness to the sinners. Jesus started to raise the dead, and, and the enemy, Satan, all of hell, was realizing, was losing its grip on its, on its prized possession, Adam, who he had defiled and pulled to emptiness, formlessness, darkness, but he felt Jesus, the light of the world, was coming and moving and marching to victory. But then, something happened. The enemy said one little trick up his sleeve left. He said, I've done it once before in the Garden of Eden. And a day called Good Friday dawned, and the enemy tried his trick again in another garden called Gethsemane. That's where we pick up our story now. After dinner, that one Thursday night, Jesus, 33 years of age, has got his teenage 
uh, band of followers around him, eager, excited. They've seen the, the revival start. They started to see the, the sick starting to get healed. They, they feel the kingdom of God is here. They, they believe it. They're in. They hook, line, and sinker. They believe Jesus. They're with him. And then Jesus at this dinner starts saying some strange things. They're eating. They might have chalked it up to a long day for Jesus, but Jesus starts taking up the bread and says, boys, listen, this is my body, broken for you. And they in their na- naivety go, okay, if you say so, what's he talking? He says, no, and this is my blood, this cup is my blood poured out for you. And now remember, this was way before Stephanie Myers and the Twilight series, so they had no clue about this blood thing. They weren't too sure. But this happens, and Jesus, they weren't getting the story, so Jesus said, well, come with me, guys. We're going to go up into the garden of Gethsemane. We're going to ascend there, and we're going to go pray late into the night. They go, and they start to go, and they go and pray, and Jesus says to them, please stay awake with me. Please stay awake with me just for a little while while I go and pray. We're on a big moment. The boys didn't fully understand it, but Jesus goes a little distance away, so much so he's starting to pray and call on to his Father because he knows what needs to occur next. And so the, the writers say that he was so stressed, so anxious as he prayed that he started to sweat blood. And, the, and this moment came where Jesus said this. He said, Father, let this cup pass before me. It's too hard. Let the cup pass before me. But then he said the words that bring hope to any heart. He said, but not my will, yours be done. And he wrestles with God in these moments. And as he comes back to find his mates, his closest followers on earth, he finds them sleeping. He goes, he wakes them up, and he says, guys, please pray. Please, I need you to pray. I need, I need humanity. I need you to stand with me in this moment. And he goes off and prays again. A second time, comes back. They're sleeping again. A third time, he comes, and he finds they're sleeping again. As much as they wanted to, they had a desire to do good. These disciples, followers of Jesus, had a desire to do good and obey, but they had no follow-through. Sounds like me. Desire to obey God, often. I'm with you. But apathy and my human nature and my comfort overwhelm, overwhelm me way too often, just like them. And as the story goes, Jesus, the light of the world, with humanity there clinging on to its false light, clinging on to its hope of itself, the first light of man went dim as the disciples gave way to their apathy instead of standing with Jesus. The story moves on. And a man named Judas was a part of his companionship. And Judas wasn't a part of this moment because he had ducked out a little bit earlier at dinner. A man who had walked with Jesus in broad daylight for years. A man who knew Jesus backwards, who knew the stories, had seen it with his own eyes. But he was a man who had allowed jealousy and greed and selfishness to fester in his heart. He had sold Jesus out. He had already made a deal, in a sense, with the devil. He had made a deal with the, the political power to be to sell out his friend, Jesus, for 30 pieces of silver. So this man with some coins in his pocket, jingling in his pocket, he'd been walking with Jesus in the day for years, but now in a moment of darkness, he walks with soldiers around him, holding torches, clinging to their false light, and a false bravado in his heart. Judas comes to sell out Jesus. And the moment of the height of the betrayal was that Jesus sells out his savior, his best friend, with a kiss. Why this is huge? Maybe for years this has perplexed me. Why, why did this happen? This, this familiar moment of uh, this false intimacy. You know, in the garden, years before, millennia before, in the garden of, of Eden, God formed the first Adam, the first man. How, and the first intimate relationship they had was God breathing his life into Adam. 
in a garden years before, this relationship between God and man was begun with a kiss, as a father kissed his son into life. Years later, the relationship between man and God was ripped asunder because a man took what was pure and holy by God and defiled and came and kissed him in another garden called the Gethsemane to betray him. We do that so often. This is my story. We take intimacy and sex and we pervert it. We take money and work and we make idols of it. Judas did this, and as he betrayed Jesus that evening, I tell you, Satan couldn't have been more excited as the light of man grew dimmer still. Darkness, the darkness, the emptiness, the formlessness of our hearts started to overtake our desires. Another man was named Peter who had told him a long time, lots of times, said, Peter, said, Jesus, I will die for you. I'll go to death for you. I'll never betray you. I'll never deny you. His moment came, and the Bible tells us that as Jesus was dragged off by the soldiers to go and begin the trial process, it said Peter was following what? At a distance. A man who said, I will be closer than your hands and feet, Jesus. I'm with you. When the moment of Moment of pressure came. He was at a distance. So much so, the Bible goes on and says, Jesus went inside. He stayed outside and warmed himself by the fire. The false illusion of, saying, of safety and warmth with, with fleeting eyes, eyes going left and right. Hold did not know what to do, keeping himself warm by the flames. And three times that evening, people came up to him and said, weren't you with that man? And Peter said, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. Fast talker now. No, 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 I'm not the right, no, no, different guy, different guy. Then a second time later, hey, I'm sure I saw you with that man. You're one of his followers. No, no, that's not me. You've got a different Facebook profile picture. It's a different guy. No, it's not me. Third time, he says, no, for goodness sake, you've got the wrong guy. I'm not with him. And the rooster crows. And Peter realizes that he's denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus predicted. I've always given Peter a hard rap until I started to realize that I am Peter. And I've betrayed and I've denied Jesus much more than three times. I've denied him many, many times. And as Peter did that, the enemy rejoiced as he realized the light of man grew dimmer and dimmer. The hope of mankind and ourselves was going out. There's a next group of people where the crowd, Pontius Pilate, came and he brought Jesus out before a crowd, a crowd who just a week earlier on the Palm Sunday had been shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had been welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem as their king. This crowd of people who threw their garments down to welcome him into Jerusalem now very all of a sudden had turned and Pontius Pilate came and said, what do you want me to do with this man, Jesus? And the crowd who had Hosanna on their lips very quickly said, crucify him. The fickleness of the crowd. And I've always shook my head and said, how can they do that? How can they forget so quickly? Then I remember my Sunday at church when I'm with the crowd and I say, Jesus, you're everything to me. You're all that I need. And then I know on the Monday how I turn and act completely differently. I am the crowd. So much so, the Pontius Pilate said, all right, fine. Uh, what I'll do is I'll either, if this year your Jewish tradition, I'll either release one prisoner for you. So I'll either release Jesus or Barabbas. Jesus, this faultless, pure man who's healed the sick, who's forgiven sins, who's led people into victory, more and more light. Or Barabbas, a murderer, a thug, an inciter of rebellion. And I picture a dirty man 
a man sneering and with chains and, and bad breath and just and pulling himself there, wanting to get free. And the crowd have this choice, just like you and me. Do we, do we take the, it's like Adam, do we take the everything God has or the fruit? And yet again, man falls for the same trap and says, give us Barabbas. The name Barabbas, Bar means son of, Abba, father. Barabbas' name, son of the father. That day there was two sons of the father. And they had to choose, which son will we release? And yet again, mankind released the wrong son. I do this every week. I do this every day. I do this often. I don't know about you, but I have the opportunity. Do I release self-control or do I release lust? Do I release uh, humility or do I release arrogance? Do I release uh, gentleness or do I release anger? I do this way too often. I released the wrong son, and I tell you, the crowd did that day, and the light of man got dimmer still. There was a man named Pontius Pilate in that moment, and in true politician style, he was a man who could find no fault in Jesus. He probably even liked Jesus, but he didn't want to be inconvenienced by Jesus. So what he did was he did it in dramatic fashion. He brought some water out, and he said, I wash my hands of this Jesus. I wash my hands of him. You do what you want of them. I'm not going to get involved. This is too much of an inconvenience. Your problem. Maybe you sing here and say, Ah, Gabe, at least I haven't washed my hands of Jesus. Unfortunately, we don't get off that light. Jesus said this one time to, to people who came and asked him a question. They, he said, Whenever you saw somebody naked but you didn't clothe them, you didn't clothe me. He said, When you saw somebody hungry and you didn't feed them, you didn't feed me. He said, when you saw somebody thirsty and you didn't give them something to drink, you didn't give me something to drink. When you somebody was in prison or sick in hospital and you didn't go visit them, you didn't visit me. Jesus said, everything that you didn't do to them, you did not do to me. Our problem in this nation are we are people who've washed our hands of poverty. We've stepped over the broken. We've stepped off people and we said, not our problem. Way too often. I do that often. I am Pontius Pilate and I've washed my hands of Jesus Way too many times. And the problem is that was the light that went dim as the light of man went dimmer still. Then there comes these men called the soldiers. Pontius Pilate hands Jesus over to the soldiers. And this group of men, they mocked. They spat on Jesus. They placed a crown of thorns into his head so blood would start running off of his, of his head, of his brow. They beat him with rods. They whipped him with a cat of nine tails till he was disfigured beyond recognition. They put nails in his hands and they slammed him to a cross. There was only one foot above ground level. It was not some pious, high and mighty thing. It was above eye level on the ground so people could walk past and spit in your face. The Savior of the world, the light of the world, by who had come to sin, seek and save that which was lost, was being mocked and spat and beaten upon those he came to save. The Bible tells us that he was crushed for our sins. The Bible says he was beaten for our iniquities. I want to tell you the truth, and it's, it's a tough thing to say, but every time that rod went back and went across his back, when the whip went on him, it was my sin. Every time I have sinned, it was me crucifying the, that hammer into the nail hand. That's my sin that did that. It wasn't some Jewish soldiers. It was me. And unfortunately, it was you. Our sin put him on that cross. 
And at that moment, the enemy knew the light of man was the, the light of man, the hope of man was nearly done. And the light of man went dimmer still. And at that moment, the Bible tells us, says this: at noon, darkness fell across the land. And for three hours, it was darkness. And at this moment, in the darkness, the only voice that could be heard was Jesus as he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani! My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus followed that up with a cry and let out his last breath. And he said, it is finished. And I can imagine at that moment, Satan and his cronies in hell laying out a whoop of delight as they said, they have done it. The nail is on the coffin. The humanity has crucified their only hope of salvation. And all hell broke loose as they thought they had crushed mankind, they had crushed God. Mankind has killed God. Welcome back to formless, empty, and dark. If we can just bring the house light up a little bit, Ty. In this dark place today, I want to ask us a question. Why then is today called Good Friday? Why is it good? You'd be forgiven to be wanting to say, this sounds like bad news. Well, I tell you, it's not good if we buy into the religious viewpoint and deny a few things about ourselves. Let me tell you, religion... And when I say religion, I mean any world religion and even the, the moralistic religion that parades itself as Christianity. Religion will tell you, become a better person. Try harder. Become a better person. Just try harder. Use Jesus as a patch, a pick-me-up, something to make yourself feel a little bit better. I love his teachings. I love this church thing. But, I, you know, this Jesus, I'm not fully convinced about everything that Jesus has called me to be. I want to tell you, religion says become a better person. Jesus says this, you are a sinful person who has no hope on your own to become better. In fact, you and I are dead. Can I tell you? You and I are apathetic. You and I are betrayers. You and I are deniers. You and I are fickle. We are duckers and divers. It is you and I, it is our sin that put Jesus on the cross. You and I murdered God. We are formless, empty, and dark. And I want to tell you with conviction today that you and I do not make the grade. We are so used to the dark that we have no hope on our own. So again, I ask, why is today good if we do not make the grade? Here's the kicker for you and I. The thing this morning is that you and I do not make the grade. So Jesus had to make the trade. You and I do not reach the grade, so Jesus had to make the trade. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. The Son of God, the Son of God became the Son of men so that sons of men could become the sons of God. The Bible puts it this way. It says, he became sin for us. I want to tell you, Jesus on that cross on Good Friday became formless. The Bible says he was beaten beyond recognition. 
You could not even distinguish what he looked like. This was not some light punishment. He was ripped and persecuted and broken beyond recognition. He became formless. The good news for you and I is that even today, if you're sitting here and you say, I don't even recognize who I am anymore. In the light of this darkness, you say, I don't know, recognize who I am. I have no hope in me. Can I tell you? You have a hope in a man who hung upon a tree, who became formless for you. I want to tell you the good news today is that he became empty. The Bible says he emptied himself and poured himself out, so much so that he drained the cup completely. He drained himself completely out. And I want to say, if you have lost purpose and you don't know where to turn today, you say, I don't know what purpose is. I don't know my life. I've given up my purpose. I've sold myself short. I want to tell you, your empty life can find purpose today in a man who hung upon a tree and became empty for you. I want to tell you, Jesus on that cross became dark. He drank the cup of God's wrath and sin to the dregs. He did not leave one sip remaining. He drank it all and drank it all and drank it all until there was nothing left. The Bible tells us that on that cross, he became sin for us. He became, in that moment on the cross, Jesus became Judas. On that cross, he became Peter. He became the crowd. He became Barabbas. He became the soldiers. He became you and me. He became the alcoholic. On that cross, Jesus did not just carry your sin temporarily. He became it. Eternally, he became the alcoholic. He became the liar, the cheat, the adulterer, the prostitute, the dropout, the sinner. Jesus was defiled and became dark beyond dark. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God. In this moment of sincerity and and, and honesty in our hearts, today God is wanting to restore hope to anyone who recognizes that they are formless, empty, and dark. I want to tell you the cross says come. The cross is God's invitation to come, to come, not to shy away. As I said, we shy away when we're confronted with the light. We've got so used to our darkness, we don't know how to handle the light. But the light of God is here today saying, come, come all who are thirsty. Come all who are weary. Come and find life. And I want to appeal to you, please, 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 there'll be a voice. The enemy will be saying, don't be too radical. The voice will be saying, you can leave this to later. My appeal to you today is, you might not get a second chance. I want to tell you, yes, we don't make the grade, but Jesus made the trade on your behalf. He died so we could have hope. This morning's decision time. It's been weighing heavily on my heart, wrestling the last few weeks. As I said, God, would your people know how good you are. Tim Keller has a phrase. He says, we are great sinners, but we have a great Savior. But to have access to the fullness of that Savior, we have to admit that we need Him. We have to pull ourselves away from the darkness and say, Jesus, we're running to your light. Can every head be bowed in this moment? No one can see you in this place except the eyes of heaven. 
And if you're here today, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask if you need to make a big decision today. Maybe you've been playing religious games for too long. You've been in and out, in and out, in and out, but Jesus is saying, will you make a decision for me today? Will you allow me to make the trade? Not just a patch on your garment, not just a little bit of a thing on on the side, but saying, actually, I'm in to make the trade. Take my empty, take my formless, take my dark, Jesus, and give me your light. Give me your hope. If that's you today and you're saying, I need to come to the cross and find freedom, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand as an act of saying, Jesus, I'm not recoiling from the light any longer. So if that's you, in one, I'd ask you to lift your hand. Two, do it with full faith in your heart that Jesus hears you. Three, could you lift your hand? Cool. See a few hands. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray in this moment, in this darkness, we know that there is hope. Because you became our darkness. You became our sin. You became our brokenness. You became our weakness so that we could have life in you. I thank you, God, that we cannot make the grade. Therefore, you made the trade on our behalf. That the Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men could become the sons of God. Today, as a people, in light of your cross, we say we are done with our sin. We are done with carrying our brokenness. We are done with our darkness. We give it to you. And it gives us freedom to pick up everything that you want to give to us. This morning, as we sing and close this meeting, we're going to take communion together. The house lights are going to come on a little bit. I'm going to ask us in a, in a sober moment to come up one by one, get some bread, get some, a cup of, 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 of juice that resembles his body and his blood that was spilt for our freedom so that we could become the righteousness of God. Can we do that together? Return to our seats and we'll pray and we'll close this meeting together. It's your blood Your blood Speaks a better word Than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth Speaks righteousness for me Stands in my defense Jesus, it's your blood Well 
Testifies and grace tells us the Father's heart to make a way for us and a boldly we approach not earthly confidence, it's only by your blood. for us, his body that became formless, his body that became empty and dark for us to find hope, to find purpose, to find shape and freedom and life and his blood poured out so that we could experience the forgiveness of sins, not just a fresh start, a brand new start, washed wider than snow I want to tell you as we take these things together and remember Jesus the confession on our lips and our, in our hearts has to be this, that no other religion says this. Every other religion says you have to become a better person. Do this, do this, do this. We're a people who say we have no hope in ourselves. Yeah. We're people who say we have no hope in my good deeds or my bad deeds. I've got no hope but in Jesus' body and his blood. Yeah. That's what distinguishes us from every other religion. It's him and him alone, him at the beginning, him at the end. And that, if we cling to that, that gives us hope. If we fall away from that and trust our own strength, then we are a people who don't have hope. But let us be today people who say, Jesus, afresh, this is our only hope. Christ alone, the cornerstone. Can we take this together? Father, we thank you for your body and your blood. Though we were undeserving, though we were sinners, though we were dead in our sins, you came into our darkness. And because your body was broken, your blood was spilt, the light of the world started to shine bright again, calling and beckoning us, come, come, come and die and find life in me. I thank you, God, today, whether we are the betrayer or whether we have been betrayed. Whether we are the denial, we have been we have been denied ourselves. Whether we are the fickle, or people have been fickle with us. Whether we have been broken and abused, or we have abused and we have broken. Whatever it is, whatever side of the coin we are, we say, God, our only hope out of our emptiness, the only hope out of our brokenness, the only hope out of our darkness, is Your blood and Your body, broken and poured out for us. Let's confess Jesus together and take communion this moment.
as you do business with God, once you finish communion, we'll ask you just to slip the cup underneath your seat. You don't have to do anything else with it. Just leave it there. A team will come and pick it up. But as we close this, this morning, in a sobering tone, but with hope in our heart, knowing that because he died, hope is alive, and knowing that Sunday is coming, we'd love to appeal to you, if you've made a big decision today, if you've made a big decision to follow Christ for the first time, maybe a big decision to come back to him, and you say, you say I, I, I'm coming back afresh, if you've made a big decision, and you're saying, I want help, I need to know what my next step is, we want to encourage you, don't leave it at a big decision and then just fall back into the old way of life. We want to call you to your next step. And what I would love to do is point out straight after as we close, Wally Gersmeyer will be here with the team. This is Wally. Come and speak to him. Come and say, I've made a big decision for Christ today. And they'll love to pray for you and help you make that next step. Take that next step away from the darkness, away from the old and into the new that God has for you. The hope that he has. So if that's you and made a big decision, please do that. If you are new and a visitor, I'd love to welcome you. I'd love to say there's a free cappuccino, free coffee outside, free, free um, hot cross bun. But come and say hi to me first. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to say hi and just to be able to get to know you a little bit. So I'll be up front as well. I'll be waiting to say hi to any visitors. Wally's here for the big decisions. The rest of us, let's have a wonderful day. Coffee on sale, hot cross buns outside. But let's remember Jesus as our only hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll see you Sunday. What?